All right, good morning, everyone. So we're going to be in Exodus chapter 17 today. And uh, it'll be a familiar theme. We're going to revisit, uh, revisit a few things. Uh, when we left off last week, um, Daddy was telling us, uh, stop whining. And uh, we're going we're gonna to talk more about whining and grumbling <laughs> today as well. I saw something interesting on the news, uh, I guess it was last night, I don't know if you guys saw this, that apparently if you um, are a young adult nowadays, uh, you can sign up for classes called adulting classes. Did you guys see this? You, you know, I've heard of you know basket making and woodworking and art and history, but this is adulting. Because apparently, um, the generation they're calling the millennials get out of school college whatever and don't know how to be an adult so they have adulting classes apparently they're all over the the country they they did you know if if it was on april the first when they ran this story you would think it was an april fool's joke but uh they said you know so they were teaching them um uh how to make a budget how to file their taxes, um, how to sew on a button, they were teaching them uh, like some home repair, like how to patch drywall, I guess if you're in an apartment and you knock a hole in your drywall, how to patch your drywall, um, just skills that would have been considered just laughably commonplace even one generation ago. Um, it, Adulting, I, and I, I was, uh, I just kept thinking about that. But then it made me think that you know the skills that it takes to live nowadays, um, you have to learn them. They are different skills than it would have been, you know, 50 years ago or 100 years before that. Um, I. I don't know why they're popular, or maybe it's they're just popular with me. But you know, there these shows on TV where they'll have somebody that goes off in the bush and tries to live on the land and with nothing but a pocket knife and a fire starter or something. Um, you know, Survivor, of course. I mean, some of that's drama, but some of it's uh, you know that sort of thing. Uh, Bear Grylls, you know, how to do all his thing that he navigates. Um, and we marvel because they're using skills that we don't use nowadays, right? I mean, I don't know how many of us with a five and a half inches of rain could walk out into the woods here and, and get a fire going. Probably not many of us. Maybe some, maybe some people would, but it would be hard. Uh, we have different skills for different times. In the same way, if you, you know, flash forward, you know, took somebody from 50 years ago and popped them down the middle of New York nowadays, would not have the skills to get around, right? Uh, where's your cell phone, sir? Well, first of all, what's a phone and, and what's a cell phone for sure? Um, and you know how to ride the subway and where to get around. I mean, they wouldn't know those skills either. So the skills that you need to live in any particular time, um, they're, they're just different. And it got me thinking about our, our little uh, happy band or our not so happy band of Israelites who had been in, Egypt for 
400 and something years. And now, I mean, they were living in a particular lifestyle, right? I don't know if it was, if they were living in tents or houses or whatever, but, but they were living in the equivalent of an urban society probably, right? I mean, there was some sort of method, I'm assuming, for sanitation and where to get the water and where to get your food or your rations and what your job was. They had a certain skill set that they had been using. And now they're going to be delivered from their slavery. But I guess it's one of those things, be careful what you wish for or be careful what you pray for because now they are in the wilderness, right? And so we have this theme that keeps getting set up that, you know, this isn't really turning out like what they signed up for. So we're going to look at this theme here. So if you'll turn quickly back to Exodus 14. Again, a little bit of a rehash, but in verse 10, This is the crossing of the Red Sea, Hebrews 14.10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. Behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. They feared greatly. So one of the things that they were probably not used to experiencing was uh, being on the wrong side of Pharaoh, and they were afraid. This was a different position for them. And what do they do? They cry out. And says, Moses, you know, where they just know graves in Egypt. I love this uh, um, little grumble. And now you're going to take us out here to die in the wilderness. Um, But look at what Moses says in verse 13. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. So this theme. They're in this distress. They're afraid. They cry out. They grumble. They, you know, throw a little tantrum of sorts. And God says, I've got you. Don't be afraid. Your salvation's coming. (laughs) I love this last part. You only have to be silent, right? This does not require a lot of you. Just hush. I've got this. Right? Just 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 such. I've got this. Chapter fifteen. Verse twenty-four. Beginning, I guess, at twenty-two. Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness. They found the water when they came to Marah. They could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. And the people did what? The people grumbled against Moses. What shall we drink? Now, they may have said, hey, what shall we drink? Or it could have been, I'm so thirsty, Moses. What are we going to drink? What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log and threw it in the water, and water became sweet. And it says, There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. So here you have this adulting class 
for the Israeli Egyptians or the Egyptian Israelis, the people who had been in this urban environment. So God's going to say, all right, you don't know how to live following me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you. I'm going to test you a little bit. I'm going to teach you. Um, if you listen to the voice of the Lord your God, do what is right in his eyes, listen to my commands, keep his statutes, I'm going to be your healer. Now think about it. If God promises to be their healer, doesn't it follow that he's going to take care of just the basics as well? As we saw last time, verse six, I'm, I'm sorry, chapter 16, here we are, just a few verses later, verse 2 of chapter 16. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now, you know, I can picture Aaron like, hey, I'm just a mouthpiece. Why are you getting me into this? Anyway, so now they're grumbling against Moses and Aaron. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the mead pots and ate bread to the... I mean, it just really is whining here. And now you're going to kill this whole assembly with natural disaster, with plagues, with... No. What are you going to kill us with? with? We're so hungry. And the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I can do what? That I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So you see the theme. Here's some need, some grumble, some discontent. I mean, did they need food and water? And of course. But... What, are, what is this testing and learning that they're doing? They're learning to depend on God. They're learning to play by his rules. There's, they're learning to, to look to him for their sustenance. And God's training them on how they're supposed to live. And, you know, we learned about the Sabbath last week. Here's some rules. Here's how I want you to live. These are the things that are important to me. You should align yourself with me. When you align yourself with me, I'm going to provide for you. There, you know, the, the way this was supposed to work is just like parenting, right? Just like parenting. Chapter 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So even in how they move, they're being trained, right? I've not been in the military, but it seems that even like in ROTC, I mean, 
I hear that there's a whole lot of marching and following and stepping and learning how to just follow orders. So here they've been given some orders on how they're going to move along. They're going to move by stages, it says. But there was no water for the people to drink. And doesn't this sound familiar? Verse 2, Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses. It sounds like it's getting more serious now, right? They're not just grumbling um, to themselves and maybe grumbling. Now they're just, now they're really not happy. They're quarreling with Moses and demanding. It's give us water to drink. They're not just saying, I'm thirsty. They're saying, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. The people grumbled against Moses and said, they really do get dramatic here, don't they? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and all our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. It's getting violent here. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so, in the sight of the elders of Israel. And they called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, if you don't, if you don't think God is a patient God, they got delivered from 400 and some odd years of slavery they got carried across the Red Sea Pharaoh's army was defeated they're being told what to do God's protection and the pillar of fire and cloud comes between them to protect them against Pharaoh and to lead them they're getting water when they need it. They're getting food when they need it. They're getting more water when they need it. And they say, is God even here? Is God even here? Clearly, there's going to be some more adulting class that needs to happen. We're going to see that. So, it would be great to just sit back some several millennia distant from this and uh, just look down our noses at these folks, right? But apparently, we haven't progressed as much as we would think. So,
It hasn't been too long since we were in Hebrews. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 3. One of the advantages of us going back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Testament and the New Testament, if you haven't gotten kind of the big meta picture here, it's because it all fits together, right? It really does all fit together. <coughs> Hebrews 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers... You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. Who's this guy? Just as Moses, also with faithful in all God's house. For Jesus had been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house himself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. The writer of Hebrews, remember, was writing to this church, many of whom had a Jewish background, Maybe a few non-Christians intermingled as well. But the point is, he's writing to primarily believers, getting them to try to put it together for them. And, and to make the point, Jesus is better, more complete. He is the, the fulfillment of everything you've heard about, all your teaching, all of what we call the Old Testament, all of the Bible was leading up to Jesus. And he's making this point, and he's, he's calling them, he's exhorting them, remember, to, guess what, align themselves with God and to do things the way God wanted them to do. Does that sound familiar? And what is the reference? He launches in, which we're going to go there in a moment. He launches into Psalm 95 for his text. He goes, verse 7 of Hebrews 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the days of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test, saw my works for 40 years. That is a quote of Psalm 95. So go to Psalm 95. Psalm 95, the first part of Psalm 95 is just, it's all, it's all wonderful. God's our salvation. Let's make a joyful noise with thanksgiving and praise and so forth. But look at verse 7. He is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. That's what, that's what 
That's the desired state, right? That's what that's where God wants us to be. We're his sheep, he wants to be our shepherd. This is the ideal place that the psalmist is calling us to. But then there's this warning. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts at Meribah as on the day at Massah in the wilderness. When was that? That's where we are, right? Exodus 17. Meribah and Massah. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, there are people who go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways and so forth. So here we have the writer of Hebrews reminding his audience there, his congregation and his church, via Psalm 95 about what was happening in Exodus 17, calling them to say, align yourselves with God. Align yourself with his ways. Don't test him. See him as your deliverance. As first part of Psalm 95 says, see him as your salvation. Right? This is, this is what I'm, I'm wanting. So, We've talked this whole time about the parallels of kind of Jesus and Moses and so forth, but now we kind of have, it kind of gets home to us now. So to review, in, in Egypt we have Israel in bondage. They've got a promise that they're going to be delivered. Right through the patriarchs, they've had that promise. In our day, there are those that are elect who have been, God knows, you know, who will be saved, and and there's the promise that we will be delivered. Israel was saved from death through the blood of the Passover lamb. We are saved by the Lamb of God, Jesus, and his blood. Israel crossed into their new life through the waters of the Red Sea, just as we begin our new life in Christ through the waters of baptism, showing we are, I mean, the whole point of baptism is saying that we are aligning ourselves with this new way of life, looking to Jesus. But then we have... Israel grumbling and needing testing and correction in order to learn how to live by God's rules and live with his provision. And as the writer of Hebrews says, the church is now grumbling and needing testing and correction in, in order to learn how to live in God's rules and his provision. So now we can't really we can't really talk about those grumbling Israelites that much without the finger kind of pointing at us because I don't know that any particular church hasn't at some time or another been right where that Hebrew church was, right? Those they were Christians just like us. So the one way to look at it is that 
if if the church in some ways to follow the thought of the Hebrew writer if the church is somehow analogous to Israel in the wilderness then what's our application of that they were looking for the promised land right where is our promised land now that that's kind of a trick question it kind of has two answers right because even though there are analogies between Moses and Jesus what does Hebrew say Jesus is the better Moses right so our situation is better than the situation of the Israelites in the wilderness although it does have some similarities so with that in mind what is our promised land so heaven is our ultimate promised land right but because our situation is somehow better what's the other part of that that there's rest now thank you thinking about the manna and what was the testing that they'll learn how to live in my law right so turn to Matthew this put a different Then Matthew six when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Look at this in verse eleven. He says Give us this day our daily bread. It was millennia ago when Jesus taught them this. So, what was, what was God trying to teach the Israelites through the man? Come to me daily for your bread. And except for prepping for the Sabbath, I really mean daily for your bread. If you're feeling extra energy and want to just kind of get ahead, nope, daily. So I think it's fascinating that here we are, Jesus teaching his disciples to pray says, Give us this day our daily bread. Was it because they had to have bread every day? No. What's he really, what's he really wanting them to learn? Depend on him day by day. Depend on him. Look to Jesus. Align or to God. Align yourself with him. Give us this day 
our daily bread. But then we have the first part of that prayer. Your kingdom come. And that's the other little part of the promised land promise for the church. Since Jesus is a better Moses and the church, Lord willing, is a better group than the Israelites were, we get some of that kingdom now, right? The Holy Spirit is here now. So we have access to some of those benefits now. So we are in a much better place. But I think it just starts to really pull things together um, where you know every generation is learning it all over again, right? Every generation has to still learn this is God's place, this is God's world. As I align myself with him, am I going to have a perfect life? No. Am I still going to have some wilderness days? Yes. Are things going to go better for me if I'm aligning with him rather than fighting him? Yes. Does he still have me even though I'm hungry? Does he still have me even though I'm thirsty? Or have arthritis? Or fill in the blank, right? Does he still have me? I've always pictured Dr. Wearsby as just this very kind-hearted teacher and so forth. He said something about this passage, which I don't think he meant it this way. It seems very stern. He Maybe in a later writing he revised it. I don't know. But here's what he said. Every difficulty God permits us to encounter will become either a test that can make us better or a temptation that can make us worse. And it's our own attitude that determines which it will be. If in unbelief we start complaining and blaming God, then temptation will trap us and rob us of an opportunity to grow spiritually. But if we trust God and let him have his way, the trial will work for us and not against us and help us grow in grace. I think I'm still learning some of the same lessons that those grumbling and whining Israelites had to learn. But it is going to put a different thought in my mind 
when I pray, give us this day that day we pray. All right. That's all I got. Comments? Actually, that's almost. Here's bonus. Bonus time. I still haven't quite figured out all the way the connection between Exodus and Numbers. There are a lot of stories that seem to be repeated. Some that seem to be repeated, kind of. Some that seem like, here we go again, sort of things. You know the story that in Exodus 17, when they're thirsty, God says, I'm going to go, I'm going to show you the rock, and I want you to hit it with your staff, right? And he hits it with his staff, and the water comes out. We know that in this passage in Numbers, I think it's 20-ish, somewhere in there, and here they are again, they're thirsty, they're whining, um, and Moses is told by God, uh, speak to the rock, and what does Moses do? So, no, I, I know, I got this one, right? I know how this goes. And he hits the rock, um, which is not what God told him to do. And, of course, we know that for that reason, Moses did not get to enter the promised land. He got to see it from the mountain, but he didn't get to enter it. Um, one take on this, which I'd never heard before, and this is, uh, I think this was Dr. Wearsby as, as well. He says... The rock, in Exodus 17, is a type of Jesus Christ smitten for us on the cross. So when, when the staff strikes the rock, that's the cross striking Jesus is what he's saying. The water is a type of the Holy Spirit whose coming was made possible by Christ's death, his resurrection and ascension to heaven. Says this explains why Moses was wrong to smite the rock when he should have spoken to it in Numbers, because Christ died to sin once for all, and hitting it with the rock the second time. No, Christ died once, right? And I thought that was a really interesting explanation for that, and why it was so serious. If if Dr. Wearsby is correct, and and I'm sure he is. Um, so I thought that was a very interesting um, way to, to tie those things together. All right, let's close. Father, we thank you that you still have us, that you still have your hand on us, and forgive us when we look everywhere else but toward you to solve our problems. Thank you for being our healer, our deliverer, and the source of our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.